All right, Revelation chapter number 15. Last week, I had to step aside and ask uh, Pastor Eli to help out. Did a wonderful job on Romans 12, 1 and 2. And I was personally challenged, but want to continue on our study of things to come. So we've looked at two of the three sets of judgments that uh, are during the tribulation time. And the third set is the set of the vial or some call it the bowl judgments. And each set of judgments grows in intensity and in impact. Uh, I'll read uh, the chapter 15 because it sets the stage for what we're going to see tonight. Uh, so Revelation 15 verse one says, and I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues for in them is filled up the wrath of God. Let that just sort of soak in. Seven last plagues filled with the wrath of God. Verse two. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image, over his mark and over the number of his name stand in, on the sea of glass having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, <clears throat> excuse me, saying, great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? If you underline or mark your Bible, I, I highlighted this phrase, for thou only art holy. For thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee. For thy judgments are made manifest. And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure and white linen, having their breasts girded with golden girdles, and one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels was finished." So here we have the introduction to the seven vials that are filled with the wrath of God. And verse four telling us what God does is just and right because God only is holy. And verse seven, he gave them these seven bowls or these seven vials full of the wrath of God. Now just as an overview, this judgment sort of focuses on the, the beast and the kingdom that he had established or will establish during the second half of the tribulation. And it is God's response to the Antichrist, the beast's treatment of God's people and their persecution of Israel. Just uh, one real sort of quick overview here before we look at these vile judgments one by one. As you read through Revelation 16, you see how God is emphasizing 
uh, all the way through it, the word great is found, I think, seven times. Verse 9, it talks about the great heat. Verse 12, the great river Euphrates. Verse 14, the great day. Verse 18, the great or severe earthquake. Verse 19, great Babylon. Verse 21, great hail or hailstones out of heaven. And verse 21, that the plague was exceeding great. So notice chapter 16, verse number 1. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying, whose voice do you think that is? Obviously, God himself. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, go your way and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. So anytime, here's here's the bottom line, Anytime anyone attacks God's people, God intervenes. God will intervene. Uh, God has promised the blessing on Israel, but the New Testament people of God uh, just as much. You know, uh, it, when my kids were growing up in, uh, in, you know, growing up in a preacher's home isn't always easy. And there's some people that think that they always need to correct the preacher's kids and so on. And there were a few times, not many, thank God, we, we have gracious church people, but there are a few times people were overly uh, harsh on my children. And, uh, you know, obviously there's a balance act here on how you deal with that. Uh, but as a dad, just like any dad, if I felt like my kids were being treated unjustly, I wanted to rise up and defend them. Our heavenly father is going to care for his children. You can rest in that. And one of the things that helps me uh, deal with uh, judgment that may be unfair or unkind even to this day is the fact that my father knows all about it. But as we go through these judgments, you're going to get the sense. There's just a, a foreboding sense of the intensity, uh, the greatness of these judgments being greater than the trumpets and then the seals that came before them. And, and you just see how things are being expanded uh, in its intensity and extensiveness. Just as an overview, the first four vials of God's wrath are directed against this world, the earth, the sea, the rivers, the heavenly bodies. And we'll glance at them briefly. The fifth bowl judgment is against the throne of the beast and his kingdom, which is established in Babylon. The sixth one initiates a judgment, which really leads to the end of the tribulation, which opens a door on the battle of Armageddon, which will be one of our next Bible studies. Then there's a little bit of a break. And then the seventh judgment uh, the seventh bowl of God's wrath will be pour, poured out on the city of Babylon itself. And we won't get there tonight, but chapter 18 uh, gives even more uh, detailed uh, explanation of what that will be. So let's uh, just walk through these rather quickly and see what these seven vile or bowl judgments are like. Look at verse 2. 
And the first, of course, verse 1 said the seven angels take the bold judgment. So the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. So this is on those specifically who in the tribulation take the mark of the beast and worship uh, the Antichrist and the, 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 the beast. Uh, and these sores are described as noisome and grievous. Uh, as you look up those words, it talks about them being ugly and painful. And those who receive this judgment, again, you're a child of God. This is not something for you to distress over. This is for those who receive the mark of the beast in the tribulation and who worship the beast's image. But even though they worship the beast, this is what I find interesting. He cannot spare them or help them or relieve them of this judgment. Verse number three. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea. And it became as the blood of a dead man. And every living soul died in the sea. Now earlier in the seal judgments back in chapter 8. Uh, no, the trumpet judgments, I'm sorry. Under the second trumpet, one third of the sea was affected. Now it says that the entire sea, it's a total loss of life in the sea. Every living creature in the sea will die. And when you consider that far more of our globe, uh, by the way, it's not a flat earth. By, by and large, the most of the, this earth is covered in the sea. You can see the intensity, the global effect of this judgment. And again, food supply. How many, how many nations, you know, uh, the, uh, the majority of their food supply comes from the sea. That's a second vile judgment. Look at verse 4. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. So now we come to the third <clears throat> uh, vile judgment. And again, the third trumpet judgment, one third of the water became bitter. Now all the fresh water uh, is, uh, is judged. The rivers, the springs will become blood. So obviously the end of the tribulation is coming because the water supply has all been judged. And in the middle of this, God just stops and reminds us that God is just. That he is righteous, verse number five says. He is righteous to do this. Why? Because they have persecuted and shed the blood of the saints. 
And so verse seven, true and righteous are thy judgments, meaning they are accurate and they are deserved. They're not, they're not beyond what should be given. They are not too little. They're right on target because these victims will deserve what they receive. Now it's hard for us to imagine a, a gracious, loving God as we know him dealing with people in this manner, but that's because we don't have a full view of God in his righteousness and his judgment and his holiness. And we don't see uh, that God, while loving and uh, faithful and true, is holy and just and righteous. Keep in mind, folks, by this time, for thousands of years, God has been showing his mercy. He's been long-suffering. He's been uh, gracious. He's given opportunity and yet has been rejected, mocked, and denied. Verses 8 and 9, And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. This is a judgment of intense heat. Thomas said to me, uh, as I was traveling down, I got a polo from him. He said that it's been 34 to 36 and humid. And uh, I said, it's not been that here. But the reality is, imagine a heat so great that it hurts as soon as you step into the sun. But rather than repent... The Bible says they'll curse God. They'll blaspheme the name of God. Verse number nine. Back in the trumpet judgments, the fourth trumpet, one third of the heavenly bodies were darkened. And these are obvious and dramatic changes in the climate which will occur during the great tribulation. Whether or not you believe in global warming, I have my opinion too, but there'll be no doubt about what's going on in that day. Then look at the fifth vile judgment, verse 10. The fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast uh, and his kingdom, meaning the throne or where he establishes himself, his authority. And his kingdom was full of darkness. Listen to this. And they gnawed their tongues for pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. So the, the, now the judgments are falling on the seat of authority of the beast. The darkness of uh, the Antichrist kingdom on the earth and result of the painful sores and the scorching that they endure will bring them to a point where They'll gnaw on their tongue to distract themselves from the pain that they are experiencing. You know, I am not, I am not a masochist. If I go to the dentist, I want to be numb. I don't want to feel it. I, I, you know, I don't want to grin. It's only a few moments. It's a few moments too long. You know, when I was a teenager, I went, he wasn't, obviously wasn't a very good dentist. California, and he ended up giving me 
seven shots on my lower jaw trying to get it numb. So finally, he was frustrated. He said, I'm going to go a little different direction. And he hit the nerve directly. I had a shot of pain go up the side of my face. And I was numb for, I think, 49 years. No. I mean, it was forever. And yeah, I'm not a person who enjoys pain. I'm reading my nighttime reading. I'm reading a biography of Andrew Jackson, was the seventh, uh, I think, president uh, of the United States. He had in an Indian war, he had a slug in his arm that they left in. Finally, in the middle of his presidency, uh, he was going to have it removed. I just read this last night, flying home. And uh, they, obviously, they didn't have any anesthetic. And, and so the surgeon said, you know, are you ready? And, and Jackson said, you know, he said, yeah, go ahead and do what you're going to do. And I think he was gnawing on a rag. And it says that when he cut the arm where the, where the slug was, it popped out on the floor. And then Jackson said, I feel better. I wouldn't have felt better right away. But the point is, you know, sometimes people will do things to distract themselves going through pain. They were gnawing their tongues for the greatness and intensity to get their minds off this pain. And, you know, you, you, you can imagine that the beast was doing everything he could uh, to get uh, men to worship him and to force men to worship him. And yet, in the midst of all this, and in, in the midst of God's judgment on men, they, they blaspheme God and they, they're trying to, uh, to deal with this kind of pain. By the way, this is the last reference that I can find in the book of the Revelation where the Bible talks about men's refusal to repent and turn to God. It's like this is the last opportunity and it's all downhill from here. Verse number 12. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates and the water thereof was dried up. And the way of the kings of the east might, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. So now the Euphrates River is dried up. It had been turned to blood in the third vial, but now uh, it's it's like a paved walkway. And the, the Euphrates River is a, historic boundary between the Holy Land and Asia to the east. So if it's dried up, the way of the kings was made. Now there's an opening for the armies of the east to invade Israel as they're rushing in for the battle of Armageddon, which is coming up soon. Uh, Who are these kings of the east? Well, whichever nations of that part of the world, of the Orient, that participate in the final world war. Then beginning in verse number 13 down through verse 16, uh, there's sort of a preparation time before the final bowl or uh, vial of God's judgment is poured out. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophets. 
For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to battle of that, to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into the place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. Uh, if you were to go to Israel, one of the stops is Megiddo. And you look out over the valley of Megiddo. And you can visualize to some degree how this, this is played out in the battle of Armageddon that we'll talk about in a few weeks. Then beginning in verse 17, then we come back to the seventh vile judgment. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. Sounds very familiar to Jesus' words on the cross. It is finished. Our salvation is provided. Now it is done. Grace has been completed. Verse 18, and there were voices and thunders and lightnings. There was a great earthquake, such as was not sin, uh, since men were upon the earth. Don't miss that phrase. Think of the most violent, the most destructive, the most catastrophic earthquake that has ever uh, hit planet earth. And this, the Bible says, that the earthquake in the seventh vile judgment is greater than them all. And so great. The great city was divided, verse 19, into three parts. And the cries of the nations fell and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away. And the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. It's basically, you want to put it in a simple phrase, a judgment of great destruction cataclysmic havoc. Verse 18, lightning, thunder, and a severe earthquake, the most severe of all time. Verse 19, the city of Babylon will be split into three sections as a result of that earthquake, my understanding, and uh, as they're trying to rebuild it as the seat of the final world government in opposition to God. The cities of Gentile nations collapse, verse 19. Talks about the great cities and the cities of the nations fell. Obviously, this would be a tremendous loss of life and a destruction of what is left of the world empires. Great topographical changes to the face of the earth, verse 20. Islands uh, and mountains disappearing. Uh, verse 21, unheard of storms, hailstones, 
the description here doesn't hit you uh, with the weight of about a talent, but that's about 100 pounds. Have you ever seen the damage done by hail when it's golf ball size? Imagine 100 pound hailstones and the damage that would do. It would destroy anything and everything that was left after that massive earthquake. Everything man has built, showing his ingenuity, showing his creativity, showing his own independence of God, is now destroyed. Imagine the severity of this judgment. And yet, despite the horror and the fright and the death and the destruction of it all, Men continue to refuse God's grace, hardening their hearts and blaspheming or cursing God. I've had people ask me, why is hell eternal? Isn't it ever enough? I mean, isn't the judgment that a sinner receives, shouldn't there be a, a limit Well, when you think about one reason would be because they're eternally bitter and unrepentant, God's judgment has to be eternal in in what they receive. So we have walked through the tribulation, trying not to sensationalize, trying not to uh, just trying to uh, metaphorically create pictures that the Bible does not give us, just looking at it plain and simply as the Bible describes it, and it's awful enough. We don't have to imagine anything more. Seven years, and I'm so glad I'm a child of God. We will pick up things to come in the Battle of Armageddon and then move forward into a brief period of time of peace on earth and then the great white throne judgment for the lost, all preceding the reality of eternity uh, for both those who are saved in the presence of God and the eternal judgment for those who have rejected his grace. If anything ought to motivate us, to tell everyone we can and to uh, be passionate about praying uh, for lost loved ones and friends and uh, family, uh, those acquaintances God brings across our path. It ought to be the reality of what seems to be coming very soon. I'm not a date setter. I'm not a negative person. Uh, I'm I'm not afraid of eternity. But it seems like this world is spiraling quickly toward its final days. And as a child of God, I can say, even so, come Lord Jesus. But as a person who wants to be like Christ and who looked on the world and was moved with compassion, I think we ought to see the positive energy of the reality of what is going to come and allow God's spirit to stir our hearts to care for the lost and perishing. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we do thank you for the warning and for the clarity of seeing your holiness.
You are just. You do all things right. You never exceed what should be done in the slightest degree. And so, Lord, we trust you, but we ask that you would stir our hearts to understand our responsibility until you call us home to be faithful, to live a life that glorifies your name, and to be salt and light, telling others that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. Heaven is only available by your wonderful grace. So, Lord, as we think about this coming weekend and the opportunities that you'll give us, I pray that we would have uh, the opportunity to share the message, the reality of Christmas. It's about a savior. It's about eternal life. It's about your great love. Lord, may that message be very clear so that those who join with us and we pray that there would be several would have the opportunity to know they can have their sins forgiven and they can know you personally. So help our choir. They've worked hard. They have a long practice tomorrow night. And Lord, I pray that truly you would be glorified in everything that's said and done and that it all would come together and be a wonderful presentation of the reality of Christmas, the greatest story ever told. We'll praise you for what you do, for it's your name we pray. Amen. There's some invitations on the table in the foyer. Help yourself. Let's distribute them. God bless you. You're dismissed.